This week's episode of the Grace Enough podcast is brought to you by Dwell Differently, and that's what dads are made for by Amanda Glass. Do you want to memorize scripture? Me too, but I struggled with daily practice until I discovered Dwell Differently. Dwell helps you memorize one verse each month by taking the first letter of every word in a verse, stringing them together in a cool design, and providing the design as a temporary tattoo, on a key tag, and a 4x5 card. How awesome is that? Everywhere you go, you're reminded of the verse you're memorizing. Each month, you get a kit in the mail. Members also get a digital kit with screensavers and downloadable coloring sheets. The best part is that people are always asking you what your tattoo means. It's an easy way to share your faith. And the verses can be memorized alone, with friends, and with family of all ages. That's what I love memorizing the monthly verse with my children. Find them at dwelldifferently.com, at dwelldifferently on Instagram and Facebook, or take a listen to their podcast by searching for Dwell Differently on your favorite podcast player. Open a new note in your phone. Save this episode as a favorite because today's conversation is one you will want to remember one you will find yourself coming back to time and time again. Becky Pippert joins me to discuss evangelism, but not the Romans road style, the engage in relationships. Pray for the Holy Spirit to guide your conversations. Listen and ask good questions and share the irresistible Jesus style of evangelism. Listen to what Becky shares about sharing the gospel like Jesus shared the gospel. So when you start looking at how Jesus went about it, how he depended on his father and was always praying, that is something we miss all the time. How the way he approached people, he listened. He really asked fabulous questions. He knew how to stimulate curiosity. It's really amazing when you see the stories. Um, He had compassion. He had love. And he expressed the gospel. The essence of the gospel is the same. But the inroad, the way he introduced it, was very much dependent upon who the person was. So with the woman at the well, you know, uh, living water, whereas the chapter before with the scholar Nicodemus, he goes, sorry, you got to be born again. In other words, the, the way he communicated the gospel was tied to the person, tied to their longings. He never treated anyone like an evangelistic project. This is one of those conversations that left me excited, motivated, and focused on God and his great power to transform lives. Good afternoon, Becky. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me today. Oh, Amber, I'm delighted to meet you. I really am. Well, before we jump in, we were talking a little bit before, but I didn't mention to you that another friend of mine here in Raleigh, Amy Carroll, is actually the one who was like, I can't believe that you're interviewing Becky. She's like a hero of mine. And so I told her, I was like, I'm going to give you a shout out. 
as we get going today because oh, she's very excited. Oh, and, well, thank you. That is so sweet. Yeah, she's really, um, she just speaks so highly of your books and how they influenced oh. her life. And um, yeah, it's just been really encouraging to talk I to her about thrilled. that. Okay. Yeah. So tell everybody a little bit about you and your family. And of course, for anybody who might not be familiar with what you do. Well, I think maybe if we start right at the beginning. Sure. Um, I was not raised in a Christian home and I have, you know, wonderful parents. My mother goes, there's something up there somewhere. I don't know. My dad was an atheist. But it is important because it, it shaped so much about me. And by the way, the wonderful thing is that it took a long time, but eventually every member of my family came to the Lord. I led my really? mother to the Lord, my father to the Lord. Now my dad took 30 years, but I was the first person to become a Christian. Okay. So wow, Becky, that's amazing. Year, isn't that something? I mean, oh, but my senior year of high school, uh, is when I came to the Lord. Then uh, I did undergraduate and graduate work in English literature, finished my MA, was about to start a PhD in English. That was what I planned to do when I was asked by InterVarsity Christian Fellowship if I would come on staff. Now, my hometown is Champaign, Illinois, so I did my master's at the University of Illinois. But when I went on staff, they wanted me to come to Portland, Oregon, and work Ooh. at a college called Reed College. Now, Reed College is famous because it is so liberal. It is so, um, I, I mean, it it's very academic. Yeah. And I would say was quite hostile to the Christian faith. So that's where I began. And it was my Now, on staff, on you staff. began on staff at Reed with InterVarsity. With InterVarsity. And so, and so it was really funny because they go, first thing I'd never given talks before, you know? Uh, and so I was going to be the speaker for the large group at Reed College. <laughs> 12 people came. That was large group. <laughs> now, what was thrilling was what happened in the five years I was on staff. I mean, it was just close to revival, really, what, what God did. But anyway, I looked, worked at Reed, Willamette, which is in Salem, Oregon, and Whitman, which is in Walla Walla, Washington. But the thing that's important, Amber, is that that became my teething ring for mm. evangelism. This was a secular campus. How do you communicate faith to skeptics? It, 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 shaped my life. So, okay, I did that for five years. Then I became the InterVarsity's um, national consultant in evangelism. But the most important thing was I began writing my first book out of the salt shaker and um, the book became a bestseller. And so to my absolute astonishment, I mean, I couldn't believe it really, but what was significant was um, I then went from only student work in my twenties to the book then opened the avenue for churches all over America. So that really changed. I began having then a national ministry. Eventually I married and had children. And then when my, this was really fast forwarding, but when my last child went away to university, my husband was in business and he said, you know, Becky, he said, you have taken this time to raise the children. And you continued your ministry, but not at all at the level of what you had done earlier. Mm -hmm. 
I really feel from the Lord that, that I need to retire young, early, and we do this together. What would you think wow. about doing an evangelism ministry, never dreaming that it would be all over the world, not just in America, but with the last child away, then Dick and I began doing evangelism ministry literally across America and around the world. And the last seven years, now we've been home about two and a half, but the last seven years before that, we lived in the UK and did evangelism ministry throughout the UK and, and Europe. Uh, so that is what I am doing. I have an evangelistic ministry in which we equip churches. I speak at big events, but also do evangelistic outreaches as, as well. So now, how did you, did you meet Dick at one of these secular universities? <laughs> no, no. Uh, I met him in, uh, uh, oh yeah. Well, I met him at a conference, at a Christian okay. conference that we were both attending. Okay. So, yeah. And I mean, you're like in your early twenties when you wrote the book, the Out of the Salt Shaker, uh, it, right? It is unbelievable. It really is. I wrote Out of the Salt Shaker, I think it came out, I think I wrote it when I was 27 and it came out when I was 28. Oh my and gosh, that it, is crazy. I know it really is. It really, really is crazy. And the interesting thing, well, I guess it may, I don't know if you want to talk about how I became a Christian, but yeah, well, do tell me how you were led to the Lord, because I mean, you're a senior in high school. It's very clear. You had to have been a pretty gifted communicator if like InterVarsity Press they're, they're not intervarsity press, but intervarsity is ready to hire you. And you haven't even been a believer that long. Yeah. So how, who is, led I you mean, to Jesus? Okay. That's interesting. I went to a, a, a pretty academic high school and uh, it was academic because of the university of Illinois being mm -hmm. there really. That was why, but I'm in high school and I am really searching. I am really looking for God. I want answers. And of course, my parents couldn't give it to me. And so I started, I took a class in high school on all the major religions, mm. um, but, but they didn't emphasize too much Christianity. So I started reading and other religions trying to find what is the answer? Is it possible that there is a God. I was certainly not an atheist, but I would say I was an agnostic. Yeah. And here was the central question. Is it possible for a finite human being to ever know truth? Is there, because I couldn't imagine anything would be worth believing if it wasn't absolute truth. But how do you do it? We're finite. We're limited by our, mm. our senses. How do we ever know? And, and I kept, I was looking at Buddhism and Islam and all these other faiths, didn't look at Christianity very much, never read the Bible. And um, one day I'm in the backyard and I was a serious seeker and I'm in the backyard, the spring and beautiful. I think this is my senior year of high school. And I was looking at the garden and the flowers. And then there were these ants and these ants were building an ant mound. And I was looking at them and they were so busy and so industrious. And I thought, isn't this funny? They don't even know I'm here. And I remember taking a twig and I put it right in the middle of the ant mound and the, they, they branched off and started building two different mounds. And I kept moving things around, leaves, twigs. And I went, they don't know that I'm even here. They don't know I exist. This is amazing. It's like being God. And about that time, two ants crawled on my hand. And I remember thinking, 
wouldn't it be funny if one aunt turned to the other aunt, now they're on my hand, and said, do you believe in Becky? And I thought, what would they say? I thought, well, the one aunt would say, I don't believe in Becky, that myth, that fairy tale. There's no Becky. And I thought, the pride of that aunt running around my hand saying I don't exist. But I thought, what if the other aunt said, oh, I believe in Becky. I believe there's order to the universe. I believe there's clues that suggest that there's a Beckiness, you know, to reality. And I thought, but I could blow the aunt right off my hand. I went, how would I ever let them know I'm real? I'm here. And I remember my mind just started racing. Wow. And I started thinking of all these different ways I could let the ant, the two ants know I was there. And I thought of one thing, then another. And then finally I went, there's only one thing I could do. I would have to become an ant. It's the only way. And then I thought, okay, imagine the scaling down of the size of me to perfectly represent Becky in the size of an ant. And then I thought, what would be the challenge? Well, they're just going to think it's another ant. I thought, okay, so how would I let them know that I'm really different, that I come from somewhere else, that I'm made of a totally different stuff? And I thought, well, I'd have to do things that no other ant could do. And then that was one of the first times I ever experienced the presence of God, because it I have was, chills all over my body. Well, I got to tell you, it. I, I, I do too, because the presence of God was there. And I knew there was someone leading my thoughts. I knew it wasn't my thoughts. I was almost afraid to turn to my right or left to see if anybody was there, you know? And I just, it was, it, I just remember my heart pounding and I went, oh my goodness, I have just solved my problem. How could a finite, limited human being ever know that God is real? He would have to come from the outside in. He would have wow. to reveal who he is. There's no other way. Because if God didn't take the initiative, how are we going to figure it out? And I, I literally jumped up because I was lying down, you know, with my face, you know, in yeah, my yeah. hands. And I went, all right, I knew that I had read other religions and for, you know, where they'd say, are you God? Like they asked Buddha, they asked Muhammad, you know, are you God? Uh, Muhammad said, your salvation is your own. Do with it what you can. And they pointed to a way they pointed to laws. Nobody said, yeah, I'm God. And I went, well, the only person I haven't looked at yet is Jesus. I wonder what Jesus said about that. Did Jesus actually think he came from the outside in? All right. I went, I'm going to go into our house and I'm going to find a Bible and I'm going to find out what Jesus said. So I go into our den where they had all the books and couldn't find a Bible. And I'd never read a Bible. And so I went, all right, there was no Bible. I thought, all right, I'll find any, if I find any book with the word Christian or Christianity in the title. And I can remember looking at every row of books. And it was the last book on about the third row at the far, far right against the wall. It was the only book that had Christianity in the title. And I took it off. It had never been opened. I blew off the dust. I opened it and I went, what a weird title, mere Christianity. I was getting ready to say, let me guess <laughs> what book it is. It was mere Christianity. It I should have guessed. Oh, <laughs> Somebody had given it to my mother. It had never been read. And I sat down and read Mere Christianity. And that was the beginning. Lewis gave me the landscape wow. 
of Christianity. And I, I understood it. And then that's what, like a couple of days later, I went and bought a Bible. And so I began then, and by the grace of God, I started in the Gospels, started with the Gospel of John. <laughs> I mean, so many people get stuck, you know, and, but anyway, I started there. Now, it's still a long story about how I came to the Lord, but that is how, how it began. I, that's how it began. And what, uh, and I was just passionately, radically converted. Yeah, when it, I mean, it, that really is one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard, just because so seldomly, I, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody say it was literally like me engaging creation in that way. Yeah. That yeah. gave me just a starting point. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Oh. So incredible. Okay. Well, let's go back to when you did release Out of the Salt Shaker. What did you hope that book 40 years ago on evangelism yeah. would accomplish. Okay. <clears throat> now remember, well, you know, you wouldn't remember. Let me tell you what it was like. <laughs> I'm 41. That, <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, you weren't born yet. Oh, that is depressing. <laughs> no, no man. Right. I love it. Years ago, uh, the style of evangelism was like this. It was pick a victim. <laughs> preach a memorized gospel outline. And then usually it was get away as soon as you can, because you don't want to be contaminated and you don't want to lose your faith, et cetera. That, that was now that's a, not everybody did that, but that was pretty much the way people looked at evangelism. The emphasis was on truth mm-hmm. where that's a good thing, but it wasn't on relationship. And the approach was very formulaic. You said the same thing, to every person, no matter who they were. You weren't taught then to pay attention to who is this person? Mm. What are their obstacles to faith? So what made out of the salt shaker so unique in its day is that I developed an incarnational approach. In other words, I communicated how we communicate truth, but in the context of relationship. Mm. Why? Because it was Jesus style. So the book was actually considered pretty radical, but it was really just looking at Jesus. That, that has never changed in, in the way I approach evangelism. Well, but Becky, at- what's interesting is even when I was in college, I was still being taught some of the same, I do think relation, there would be like these two camps at that point, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah, right. over here, it was a lot relationship and and not a lot Still of truth, but yeah. right. Yeah. And then over here, it was like, nope, Romans road all the way. Exactly. And then once they pray exactly. that prayer, we're good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that was the way it was when I went all, to college. Yeah. That yeah. was exactly the approach. So when you start looking at how Jesus went about it, how he depended on his father, and was always praying. That is something we miss all the Mm -hmm. time. How the way he approached people, he listened. He really asked fabulous questions. He knew how to stimulate curiosity. It's really amazing when you see the stories. Um, He had compassion. He had love. And he expressed the gospel. The essence of the gospel is the same. But the inroad, the way he introduced it was very much dependent upon who the person was. So with the woman at the well, you know, uh, living water, whereas the chapter before with the scholar Nicodemus, he goes, sorry, you got to be born again. In other words, 
the, the way he communicated the gospel was tied to the person, tied to their longings. He never treated anyone like an evangelistic project. Now, back then, evangelism was very strong on truth, but very weak on evangelism. Now today, now you're interesting because you're in the, to say 40 years ago, that's what it was. You're saying 25 years ago, you had two options, Mm -hmm. you know, today, what I'm finding is I do so much evangelism training is that whereas back then it was strong on truth, weak on relationship. Now it's much stronger on relationship, very weak on truth Mm -hmm. and particularly uh, the verbal expression of truth. And here's the thing I hear all the time. I'm always hearing, whether it's, you know, I do a lot of university work still, but I'll, at a lot of churches, but they'll say, well, um, they, they'll say, you know, I just think Francis of Assisi really had it right. Preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. words. Well, first of all, there is no historical evidence Francis of Assisi ever said that. And if he did say it, he was wrong. <laughs> That's not <laughs> biblical evangelism. <laughs> biblical evangelism is threefold. Biblical evangelism is visual. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got to demonstrate the love of Jesus in who we are and how we relate to people and how we care for our cities, how we care for our society. This is where justice fits okay. in. It's an aspect or people won't take us seriously. Evangelism is visual, you demonstrate the love of Christ. Evangelism is also verbal. As important as love is, it's not enough. Because if you love people and you never tell them why, they're just going to think you're a Girl Scout. That's right. You're like a lot of the other people. Yeah, exactly. And so what we have to do is is the love is going to open the door, but there has to be truth. And we have to know how to communicate the truth of the message. And that's where we're so weak in the West. And thirdly, it's not only visual, it's not only verbal, it's not only visual with love, verbal with truth, it's invitational. At the right time, we need to know how to invite people to respond to Jesus. What are dads made for? Hmm, I've been asking myself the same question. Author Amanda Glass, creator of the Made For book series, helps kids and dads answer that question. That's what dads are made for is more than just a fun book with cute pictures. It's one that creates conversations that build meaningful connections. This Father's Day, help your kids connect with dad as they discover together. Oh, that's what dads are made for. For kids three and up, just $9.99 when you order now at themadeforbooks.com. So you wrote this book 40 years ago and you got to the point that you realize now there's a shift. This shift has taken place in our society, but evangelism, like the message is still the same. That has not changed. So you decided to write a book, stay salt. The world has changed, but the message has not. Must not. Must not. Why did you write that? Yeah, it really is fascinating. It was exactly 40 years between my first and my last book. And I've written, I think, 12 books all together. Now that's bigger ones and, and smaller ones. Right. My first book was out of the salt shaker. And I don't think I ever really thought that I'd write a second book on evangelism. But why did I do it? Because the world has changed. The world has changed so dramatically. And we have to know how do we share the good news of Jesus Christ for such a time as this? Mm. So what's changed? 
we have been living in a world and, and particularly in the West that is dominated by what I call the lethal distortions of post-modernity. Mm. Um, uh, and that wasn't true when I wrote Out of the Salt Shaker. What do I mean by the lethal distortions? The collapse of absolute truth. I was getting ready to say, I mean, Becky, that wasn't true. We were having this conversation around our dinner table last night. We had six couples over. We have mm. one couple who is right in the middle of teenage years, mm. another couple who has college age kids. So they're kind of past that. And then several of like a couple of us are younger kids. And she is at this place with her daughter where her daughter is just in the sexuality talk, you know, yeah, well, yeah, I think yeah. I might be bisexual. I think, exactly. I mean, and it's all because there is, if you even look at a girl and you think that she's pretty yeah. as a female yeah. now, that means you might be in love with her. Oh, oh, it's unbelievable. And you know what? I'm like, I would have been gay then as a 12 oh, year old. I mean, I'm when, serious. Yeah. When I think about how 40 years ago, I knew that nothing was worth believing if it wasn't absolutely true. And when I made that statement to you a minute ago, I went, wow, I was modern. I wasn't postmodern. I still, I didn't know if there was a God, but I had a healthy regard. Yeah. For Doesn't. It, I it did it in so, college even. Exactly. I mean, it has changed since my children have been born 11 oh, years absolutely. ago. Absolutely. So the collapse of absolute truth is one. There has been a shift from objective authority to personal preference um, that, that just, you know, it is, it's completely up to you. Um, there is a designer religion approach that picks cafeteria style. So, yeah. and it doesn't matter if the, the, the beliefs we pick completely collide and are contradictory and are inconsistent. It doesn't matter because there is no truth anyway. Mm -hmm. And so you could do a little karma here and a little humanism there. Yeah. Then the sexual revolution, what mm -hmm. you've just talked about. It, it is a tremendous challenge for us uh, in, in evangelism. And I think another thing where I think Christians today are so intimidated is because media, cultural elites, mm -hmm. universities are so hostile to the Christian faith. So what people want to know is, how do I even share my faith mm -hmm. for such a time as this? How do I do it? Yeah, I mean, and that, so that's what you really address and stay salt, correct? Right. Exactly. Yeah, you're really going after, you know, like, how do we do this without feeling like we're inadequate? Yeah. Feeling like we're uneducated, uh, without feeling fearful. And so what are some of the things that you highlight in stay salt? One of the things is, first of all, why? You know, some people say, are you sure we're really supposed to share our faith? And I go, well, let's go back to Jesus. And Jesus commands us. It was the last thing he said mm -hmm. before he ascended into heaven. But what did he say? I think this is so interesting. Jesus didn't say, go ye therefore and make disciples, all you extroverts, all you gifted evangelists, all you professional clergy, wow. And okay, all you Baptists and the rest of you just hang out, sing some hymns. I'll be back. Jesus calls every disciple in every age from every tribe to be his witnesses. And here's what's so interesting. He doesn't say one word about our gifting. Mm. He doesn't say, well, of course you have to be an evangelist in order to share your faith because you don't. 
the gift of the evangelist isn't given to a lot of people, but we're all called to be witnesses. He doesn't tie his command to share the, 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 the gospel message. He doesn't tie it to our gifting. He doesn't say one word about our temperament that we have to be outgoing. He calls us to go. Why? A couple of reasons. <clears throat> the first is because God loves the lost. Mm. And so must we. He gave, I mean, you think of the father giving the most precious thing he had. He gave his son. That's how much he loves the lost. Besides that, God loves the lost, so must we. But the other thing is, God knows that he's given us everything we need to be effective witnesses. Now, that means we have got to start identifying what are the obstacles that we have in sharing our faith. Now, Amber, I have done evangelism training on all six continents again wow. and again and again and all across America. Do you know what almost now there are some countries where they don't say this, but it's very rare. And that would be more Africa. They have a lot of, and the global South, Africa, Asia, South America, you know, that's the global South. The global North is Northern America, Canada, US, Australia, Europe. Europe. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. In particularly for us in the West, it is really a challenge uh, because we do have more of the impact, um, you know, the challenge of post-modernity. All right. So what do I always hear? Here's what I hear at every conference. Well, Becky, I really would like to share my faith. I would, but I, I can't. I go, why? Because, and then it's as if they're sharing their deepest, darkest secret, because they almost whisper, because I'm inadequate. And I go, well, of course you're adequate. I'm inadequate. Everybody is inadequate. Yeah. I said, but that's not the point. The point is the great evangelist, of all time, Jesus Christ dwells within us through the Holy Spirit. Now, God is the great evangelist, but he uses us in our weakness. Now, I can't tell you how important that is to understand. We are the creatures. We're not the creator. We are God dependent. We are not self-sufficient. And mm. God doesn't send us out empty handed. He's provided everything we need for witness through the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the truth of the gospel, the power of Jesus' love. But not only that, he is delighted to reveal his glory through human weakness. That is one of the underlying themes of all of scripture. God reveals his glory through human weakness. How do we know this is true? The apostle Paul prayed three times for the Lord to take away his thorn in the flesh. He didn't like being weak. And he was saying, take it away. And what do you see in the Bible? You see there is this profound relationship between human weakness and God's power. God always uses people who complain they're weak and inadequate. And what does God say? What does the Lord Jesus say to Paul? Oh, you know, take away my thorn in the flesh. In, in essence, I just feel so weak and inadequate. The Lord does not say, oh, Paul, don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> I mean, you know, don't worry about that. No, he says, take away, take it away. And the Lord says, no, Paul, I am not going to take away your thorn in the flesh. Well, why not? Because in your weakness, my, I will be made power, my power is what you need. What does he say? 
He says, my, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect, perfect in, in weakness. weakness. And then what does Paul go? Well, all right, then I'll I'm going to boast all, all the more than gladly. gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on us. And then a little bit later, he goes, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Amber, where we need to begin in evangelism, celebrate our smallness and then oh. learn to lean on the power of the Holy Spirit. The whole first section of Stay Salt is all about the means God has given us, that we are not to complain that we're weak and inadequate. That's a given. And it's not necessary. God is the one who is strong. God is the one. And so then what do you see when Paul goes to Sin City and the ancient world, which, which was Corinth? He writes this letter. Now, you think of Paul and think, you know, this great evangelist. I came to you, he says, 1 Corinthians 2. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wide, wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. His statement is staggering. And Paul learned to glory in his weakness so that Christ's power may be revealed. Uh, that wow. is where we begin. Okay. So here's my question for you. This is a little off script, but I can't help but wonder if more of this comes down to people not feeling inadequate as much as fearing rejection mm -hmm. and hiding behind saying they're inadequate, which is ultimately an issue of pride. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you agree with that, but I'm thinking about myself. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times when it comes right down to it, I think I'm inadequate, but then I'm also like, no, you don't want to be rejected. You're taking this personal and it doesn't have a thing to do with you. Your job mm. is not to make the seed grow. Yeah. I think that's a extremely important point. And I think it's absolutely true. But I also think that people really do it's not just that they feel they're inadequate. They really know they are inadequate. Mm, and, and they don't know how to and, embrace that. And they don't know how to embrace it because as a strength, um, we think that God couldn't possibly use us because we're not confident enough. We don't know enough. We're not holy enough. God has always mm. chosen to use the weak. And what is the Lord's answer? You see, I think this fear of inadequacy I think it, it reveals a couple of things. I think it reveals unbelief. And for example, uh, Paul, what is the Lord really saying to Paul? Paul, don't be afraid of your weakness. Why? Because there's another who dwells within you. That's the key. We are not alone. And when we're talking yeah. to somebody, think how often we think, oh, what if I don't have the right answer? What if I'm not clever enough? What if I can't do that? That's not the point. It is that we have another who dwells within us. Yeah. And we've got to start learning how to lean on the spirit. We may very well not be great evangelists, but you see, it isn't self-confidence that we need. It's God confidence. Mm. That's what we need. And the first qualification to being used by God is acknowledging and celebrating our smallness. Mm. And the more successful we are, the better we clean up, the harder it is to do. That's the first part. But the second part is lean on the power of God through the Holy Spirit, who has all the strength, all the power that we need. Now, your point is also very, very important. If, if the first part of my book is on 
the means. The second part of the book, Stay Salt, is on the message. Mm -hmm. What is it? How do we defend it? What do we say? How do we tie the gospel to where people are? The third is, yes, but I'm just not confident. I'm afraid. What if I offend them? What if they ask me a question? This is where your point was coming in. Um, What if I offend? You know what I say to people? I go, okay. I get offended every day. (laughs) And, And it's a perfectly... A reasonable fear. What is interesting to me is that it never occurs to us to ask, mm-hmm. to say to somebody, you know what? I am so excited about a Christ- being a Christian. I really am. I love, but I also know I don't like Bible bashers. So if I become too aggressive, if I'm coming on too strong, mm-hmm. would you just let me know? Because I do want to be sensitive. Why doesn't it occur to us to ask people to let us know if we have offended them by being too aggressive? And I don't mean that's being such a good through. perspective. We ask. And then what do they find out? Oh, you're normal. <laughs> I was afraid you were one of those Jesus freaks. You're normal. What if they ask me a question I can't answer? People ask me questions all the time I can't answer. I go, that is a fantastic question. Always affirm the question. I haven't a clue what the answer is, but I can't wait to find out. Oh, yeah. You see, what people want to know is we're real. Yeah. And um, they want to know that we're not coming, that we're listening, that we genuinely care about them as people. Anyway, in that third section of the book, I do a lot on fears, but let me tell you what I hear probably more than anything else. How do I even bring up the topic of faith? Well, that's what I was going to ask. Like, how do, how do you encourage people in the book to overcome some of those feelings of sharing Jesus in a post-Christian world? Yes. Cause it's not getting any easier. No, but I tell you what, I tell you what, um, what's very interesting is what I see. The more I'm listening to people, if they know that you are listening, that you're genuinely interested, that you care, that you really have compassion for them, people are more open than what we think. Mm. But so often it's, it's maybe it, we have to learn how to, how to share our faith and, and how to establish real relationships with people. Let me give you an example. I, I give this example in the book, Stay Salt. I'm getting on the plane. <clears throat> this is recent. This is about maybe it was two years ago. Anyway, I'm on, I'm flying to Arizona. I'm going to do evangelism training for university students there. I get on the plane. I sit down next to this woman and I was working on my talk on evangelism. And I could tell this woman whose name it turned out was Sue. And she was really chatty. And I could tell that because she kept asking me questions. So I prayed in fact, let me, let me just say to you who are listening to this, I'm going to tell you a story and I want you, even if you're writing notes by any chance, um, pay attention to little things I'm saying, and then I'm going to, we're going to go over it in just a second. That's great. Okay. All right. So teach prayed, us, teach us, uh, Becky, yeah. teach us. We need I, it. <laughs> I prayed a very quick, silent prayer. I said, come Holy Spirit, come guide this conversation, help us connect silent prayer. And then I began looking for common ground. Any conversation you're having with somebody, what are your common interests? What do you share? Well, it didn't take long at all. And I started asking questions. We both love travel. We were both actually world travelers, love cultures. So we talked, I bet we talked a half hour just on everything we'd been learning, you know, and then 
here's what happens when you find common ground. And why is it so important to find common ground? Because when they find out you're a Christian, it's going to be much harder for them to put you in a box because you've already connected authentically as human beings. And then they go, well, wait a minute. I really liked her. And we really had something in common here. And I really enjoyed this. Well, they can't put you in that box as easily. All right. That's the first thing. Second thing about finding common ground is that it, now this is particularly true if you didn't know the person well. So um, they will be much more apt to start sharing their views because we've authentically connected. So we're talking about all these things, you know, what we have in common, world travel, da, da, da. And then she goes, one of the things she said was, Becky, listen, if I want to be a man on Monday and a woman on Wednesday, who cares? At the end of the day, gender identity is simply a matter of personal preference. Exactly, Amber, what you were talking about. Then she went on to say that she was a very firm believer in the law of karma. Now, this (laughs) reveals the challenges we have in witnessing today's culture. How do we engage in significant conversations when people's views are radically different from ours? What we need to do is learn how to ask questions. So one of the next things she said, because I, you know, I was trying to figure out where to land on all these different views she had. So then she said, you know, I really believe in the essential goodness of human nature. And I said, well, how would you describe the state of the world, Sue? She said, okay, she goes, I really believe human beings are good. And I believe our nature is good. I said, "How, how would you describe the state of the world? She went, the world is falling (laughs) apart. It's a mess. I said, okay, so help me out here. That's because of humans. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) How can the world be a mess if it's filled with entirely good people? She said, that's a very good question. And she said, well, I guess this is my analysis. And this analysis is actually quite American. You wouldn't hear Europeans saying this as much. She goes, I believe our problem stems from two sources. People either have addiction issues and they need a recovery program or they're psychologically wounded and they need therapy. Don't you agree? I said, I think both of those solutions have truly helped people. But I want to ask you something. What if that person learns to live in recovery from that addiction, only to discover that the problem is deeper than they realized. What if our ultimate addiction is to ourselves? Mm. What if at our core, we have a heart problem? She said, ha, do you know, I think that you've got a real point, but Becky, who in the world has the power to heal the heart? Where do you go for rehab for the heart? Mm. For the first time, In that conversation, I mentioned God. I hadn't brought it up at all. And I said, honestly, I can't think of anyone or anything but God. In fact, it was that realization that led me from being an agnostic to ultimately becoming a Christian. But that's a long story. Now, why did I say that's a long story? Because I wanted to see if she really was interested. Not going to start sharing my faith and giving the gospel or whatever if she's not interested. She goes, no, I want to hear your story. For okay. The whole rest of the flight, we discussed faith for the whole flight. Now we landed. 
got our luggage and she goes, Becky, I'm, I'm really embarrassed to actually say this, but if I emailed you, would you email me back? I so love talking to you. I said, I'd be delighted. Mm -hmm. And we are now having an ongoing conversation about faith. And I've now, I wrote a book for unbelievers. I've sent that to her, but here's what I just want to do this quickly. What are some tips you learned in raising the topic of faith? How do we move from a natural conversation, a normal yeah. conversation to a spiritual one? How can we do it naturally? What was the first thing you picked up of what I did when I realized that she was chatty Kathy and that we were going to have a conversation? Do you remember the first thing I did? Well, you said the first thing though that you did was you found common ground. Right before that, that she didn't know I was doing. Prayed. Yes. Now, when you're talking to somebody, always pray a silent prayer and invite God, his presence, mm. his person to guide that conversation. Prayer is so critical, Amber, because it reminds us yeah. we're not the great evangelist. We have to worry about that. God is. Uh, people will always say, I can't, I can't witness because I'm inadequate and weak. Well, all right, we know that's not the problem. My grace is sufficient for, mm. for you. So we need to practice the presence of Jesus or the biblical languages, we abide. I can't tell you how important this is, that when you invite Jesus into that conversation and you say, oh, Lord, help me. Okay, how do I handle this? Help, you know, what am I supposed to do here? Help us to connect. You, you realize that you're not alone. There is another who dwells within you. All right, that's the first thing. Now, what was the second thing you already mentioned? Yeah, the I common think? ground. Find common ground. Common ground enables us to connect authentically uh, as human beings. That this isn't entirely fair, yeah, because I'm asking you on the spot. Oh, you're did, okay. Did you notice the next thing that I did when uh, not even so much what I said, but yeah, the question, that's the thing. I did notice that actually. Look, I have to tell my listeners, she's, she's giving me cues. It's great. <laughs> we can see each other. Y'all can't see us. And Becky's being so kind to me to give me cues, which I greatly appreciate. But no, the, the questions, yeah. And my thing is, it's okay to pause and really think about what the person is saying it's to find the question. That's and right. I struggled with that for decades because I felt like I needed a response right away. Exactly. That is exactly right. And when you are thoughtful and see a, a shy person, for instance, will say, oh, Becky, you're such an extrovert. You're verbal. You're quick on your feet. I, I don't know that I'm so quick on my feet, but it, a shy person who is really listening really carefully and is and thinks before they speak, that is very powerful evangelism. So you need to ask good questions. And let me tell you what, in the book, I do a lot on looking at Jesus, asking questions. Why are questions so powerful? Because they aren't preachy. Yeah. They reveal we're really listening and questions can actually cause people to reconsider their views. When I asked Sue how the world could be a mess if people were entirely good, I said, help me out here. Now, how does that work? She immediately saw the contradiction. Mm -hmm. I think people are all good. And then saying the world's a mess. And she wasn't defensive. Why? Because questions aren't aggressive. Mm -hmm. And even though the questions are gently challenging her worldview. Now, what's- Oh, that's so good. Why do we want to immediately respond with disagreement? Because exactly. I do that. Exactly. You know, we immediate, like my immediate response would want to be, well, wait a minute. <laughs> 
Exactly. That's not true. <laughs> and in fact, my next point is exactly that. Agree where you can. Now, why okay. is that so important? We need to affirm what we legitimately can. Yeah. When Sue said people struggle with addiction and find help in recovery, I could agree with that. That's right. It, but what do we know that they don't? The problem is so much deeper. Mm -hmm. The problem is deeper still, but you're not going to win that person by going, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever because heard. Because they're all fallen and completely depraved. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How's that? You know, agree where you can, not with compromising, but then ask deeper questions. But here's the key. Use their terminology if you possibly okay. can. We make the mistake of expecting people to come onto our turf rather than going onto theirs. Mm -hmm. And so when I asked Sue, what if our ultimate addiction is to ourselves? It, what I was expressing was the idea of sin, but I wasn't using, her, but I used her language yes, rather than biblical language initially. Now, later in the conversation, I explained more fulsomely what our problem is and why the Bible calls it sin. But, but you needed to begin with saying, what if our ultimate addiction is to ourselves that she could relate to? So what we need, there, there were other things, but that's just a beginning of, um, it's why I so believe in getting evangelism equipping and reading books and stuff, because I think if we can understand the culture and then we understand what can we do, the longer I have taught Christians, churches, and students, and done evangelistic outreaches and had a thousand conversations with non-Christians. I want to tell you what I've learned. Number one, what I've learned, evangelism is easier than I ever imagined when you follow Jesus' way. Mm -hmm. People really are more open than we think. Yes, they have the stereotypes, but that's where we've got to show them we're different, that we're not like that stereotype. Yeah. Um, and they're more open uh, than, than we might imagine. Now, it's going to take time and, and, and we need to keep going at it and having conversations and demonstrating a lot of love. But here's what you've got to remember. Secularism does not have the power or the answers to address our deepest human longings. God has placed in every human being identity, meaning, purpose in all human hearts. And even if the non-Christian can't quite identify, articulate what it is they're longing for. It's there because it's God-given. And that's why there's been a much greater openness during COVID. Because for the wow. first time, people mm -hmm. are saying, I'm not in charge. I'm not God. That's right. And what, what do I do? Secularism can't answer that. That is what the gospel of Jesus Christ has. But we have to pray we have to ask God, guide me to the people who are open. Please lead me, Lord, to people who are open and get invested. Love people. Pray for them. The second thing, if evangelism is easier than I imagined, evangelism is harder than I thought even still. Why? More than anything, it's because we have an enemy mm -hmm. who will harass and intimidate and want to scare us to death. Don't be surprised when you feel, oh my gosh, I, you know, I feel like I'm being tripped up or I feel like I didn't do it right. I didn't do it well. Don't, don't go there. You know, I, I, I would say that to myself all the time. I should have done this. I should have done that. I still do that. Mm -hmm. And then I go, oh, isn't it wonderful? It's not up to me. That's it's right. Up to God. Amen. 
You know, but, I think about screw tape letters and I encourage people all the time when they're in their head with that enemy, the enemy's just devouring us. I'm like, listen, pick up screw tape letters and exactly. read the way it's the most wonderful picture of how the enemy will use the, the feeling of inadequacy, the lack of confidence, the exactly. feeling like you're not educated, all of those things to attack you and prevent you from moving forward in God's and, purposes. And that is why prayer is so terribly important because now more than ever, when we look at culture and where it's going, um, if ever we see the evidence of an enemy and we need to recognize spiritual warfare, we need to recognize yeah. it and we need to know this is another big topic, but we need to know how to pray against it. But don't forget Jesus, he defeated Satan. That's right. He is a defeated foe. And so expect that there's going to be uh, difficulties. Don't be surprised by it, mm -hmm. but remember that he is a defeated foe. Evangelism is easier than I thought, harder than I imagined. God uses us in our weakness. I said it before. I want to say it again. The chief qualification of being used by God is accepting our inadequacy, which turns us to lean on the Holy Spirit. And it's wow. why prayer is so critical. Learn how to walk in the spirit, how to abide in Christ, how to practice the presence. But, and remember above all else, God loves these people that are in yeah. your life. He loves them. He died for them. And we've got to remember there is another who dwells within us. Mm. We are not alone. And we have the most beautiful, beautiful savior to share. Oh my goodness. Becky, can you just like come on every week? <laughs> oh, I'd love to. This would be so fun. <laughs> I mean, those are such practical ways to engage people, number one. Mm. And number, like, you're so right. We, how do we miss Jesus and his exactly. way of doing things? Exactly. Let me tell you something else. One of the most powerful tools, apart from prayer, really loving people, and getting really involved in a relationship. And even if it's somebody on a plane, okay, maybe that's not going to be somebody you see, but the principles are still the same, mm -hmm. asking questions and all of that. But I have to tell you, in your neighborhood, at the gym, now, again, this is, uh, hopefully COVID's going to be over pretty soon. Do you know one of the things I try to do with the people that are in my life who don't know the Lord? You begin and you have really good conversations, but as soon as you can, what I always do is go, you know what? Your questions are great and you're really bright, but I, I get the impression that you've never read the New Testament documents. You've never read about Jesus, maybe as an adult. Now, maybe you've had a church background, maybe you've had no church background, but have you ever really read, now with college students, I'll always say, have you ever read the primary source material? How can you make <laughs> an intelligent decision if you've never seen what's there? And just, Amber, as we are so moved by looking oh, at Jesus, yeah. we weep when we see how he talks to people. Wait till you see how non-Christians respond to Jesus when you do a Bible study in the Gospels. I call this a seeker Bible study, and I've written quite a few seeker guides. They can look on my website and see, but getting people to encounter Jesus, Jesus is irresistible. And we think, oh, well, they'd never be interested. You, I have taught this all over the world. And I'm always hearing from Christians going, they fell in love with Jesus. 
They just couldn't get over the relevance that he was so different than what they thought. Yeah. That the, anyway, just keep that in the background, that that is something that is so much fun is having your non-Christian friends one-on-one, or maybe you and a Christian invite three or four non-Christians and just take a look at Jesus. They don't have to believe it. They don't yeah. have to believe anything. Just come and see what he's like. That's right. Well, I want to encourage people. I mean, you've heard you heard Becky teach right here. Like this is not just a podcast episode. This is a teaching. And so you can get out of the salt shaker and stay salt on Amazon, all the places, but also on Becky's website. And so anybody who wants to get those resources and connect with you, tell everybody your website. And then do you hang out on social media anywhere or are oh. you strictly website driven? Um, well, first of all, you can go to my website, uh, www.beckypippertministries.org. And I'll make sure that I put that in the show notes okay. as well for all people. Right. Um, I do. Oh, my goodness. I do so many interviews and podcasts, but you're talking about... Like, do you, do you, are you on Facebook at all? Are you on <laughs> any of those... Do- Listen, you're better off if you're not. I'm just I, asking. I know. I wish I could say so. Literally, Dick and I talk about this all the time because one of the things I'd love to do is to do a blog or something. We'll have to talk about this, Amber. Sure. Is that, you know, what what should I, uh, you know, what- Where should you spend your time? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because one of the things that's been so exciting is I've been doing interviews literally around the world and hearing so many stories of, what's happening to Christians and where they need some help. And then Lord willing, if uh, COVID permitting, then this autumn, I'm going to be in the States, but I'm also going to be in uh, UK and Europe and maybe Malaysia. But that depends on. I know. But anyway, Who knows, anyway. right? Yeah. Well, they can always visit you at your website. And so, Becky, this has been an absolute delight for me. And so thank you so very much for being here. Amber, I have loved getting to know you. You are so special. Thank you. If you didn't get to take notes, you can visit graceenoughpodcast.com slash Becky Pippert for quotes from today's conversation and links to Becky's website and her books, Out of the Salt Shaker and Stay Salt, which I do recommend. The next two weeks, a new episode won't drop because I'll be on vacation. However, It's a good time to catch up on episodes you've missed. I will be emailing a top 10 episode list for your summer road trip to my email friends. If you would like to receive this list, go to graceenoughpodcast.com, enter your name and email address, and you will receive it later this week. That is if you are listening in current time, which is June 2021. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.